Hey, everybody, if you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too, and that's the podcast that they call stuff you should know. Big. Do I sound any different? Yeah, no. You sound exactly the same. Do I really? That's good, because I just got the stents out from having my deviated yes. septum fixed once and for all. Dude, what's it like? What's the reveal? Well, the big reveal is that my voice didn't change, which is something I was actually <laughs> really worried oh, about. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, because I mean, like, um, uh-huh. that's what I use as my job. Well. And I was like, well, you know, <laughs> if sure. I've got like my septum pressed all the way up against one side of my face, how's that make my voice sound? And what will it sound like with, you know, out that happening? But I can breathe through mo- both nostrils for the first time in memory. I, I literally wow. can't remember the last time I, wow. like, I, I'm probably with sixth grade. Again, my friend Sami punched me in the face, uh-huh. and I'm almost positive that's I that's the it. only thing I can come up with that would have deviated my septum. But I've been in such a good mood since those stents got pulled out, man, oh, that I'm, I'm just on air. Dude, I love it. So happy to hear that. Thank uh, you. I bet those stents being in there was not fun. No, it wasn't. And um, my doctor, a guy named Kapil Segel, was really, really good, mm-hmm. as was Alicia, the PA, too. And he said that he was, I don't think he said it was the most deviated septum ever, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that's essentially what he was saying. Okay. <laughs> that it was a really, really deviated septum. And so he got it straight and everything's going bully right now. Did you shave any off any, anywhere here and there? No, he said, you know that bump's still going to be there, right? We're not doing a rhinoplasty. I was like, yeah, I've made peace with my nose. This is fine nose. So he was like, great, okay. I love it. I can't wait. can't wait to yep. breathe my breath into your nostrils and have you <laughs> I can't, accept I can't it for the either. first time. Here, do it now, and we'll see if I can smell it over the microphone line. <sighs> yeah, that's nice, <laughs> Chuck. It smells like seagulls. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, uh, people listening to this might be thinking, why did Chuck almost shout the word big at the beginning of this episode? Oh, yeah. Because uh, I was going to say big props and thanks to you for picking this subject. Oh, okay, great. Because I thought you liked it. I thought it was endlessly fascinating mm-hmm. and had so many potential little tendrils that weren't even in the great thing that Livia put together for us. Right. Uh, it just, it really got my brain kind of thinking about a lot of different ways that parapersonal space and how our brains are wired and how that, how many things that has impacted and will impact and can impact. I loved it. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's, I mean, that's why I, I was like, we got to do one on this. I don't remember how I stumbled across. I think Man. I actually was like, I remember hearing that every human needs like 1.7 meters, square meters of personal space or something (laughs) or actual physical space. And I was like, is that true? And I went and looked it up and I stumbled upon parapersonal space, which is different. There's personal space, there's parapersonal space. And this this science, even though we've been like kind of picking at the edges of it since the 70s, it's still so new that we're not quite sure if we're talking about the same thing or Mm -hmm. are these overlapping systems. But the upshot of it, parapersonal space, what we're talking about is the area around you that you can reach 
like as far as your arm extends, and that if you stop and think about it, this is the way that we physically interact with the world. This is the space. And it changes because we move around the world. We sit down. We stand up. We shake hands. We just we do stuff. So it moves with us. It's locked into our body. But it is, it's the space where, where we interface with reality, essentially, um, in any physical way. Yeah, and it's um, – and by the way, teaser, there are two other kinds of spaces that you didn't even mention that we're going to talk about. Okay. So just, you know, put that under your lid. Let's Lis- smoke it. Listening audience. Uh, it's sort of related to what's called body schema. And we'll talk about sort of the history and all this and all these cool studies. But body schema is just the the understanding that we have of how we're built. Like, you know... Uh, it's like if you put on one of those big uh, sumo wrestling suits, mm-hmm. you're going to be knocking stuff over, like a Nathan for you episode in a China <laughs> in a China shop, um, mm-hmm. because your 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 brain is wired to be used to how big you are. Uh, like when we squeeze through a, a sideways thing, like we know, like I've got to turn sideways when I get to this thing because I know how big I am and I know how wide I am, and like you can't overstate the massive importance this had evolutionarily speaking, I think, mm-hmm. because yeah. that relates to everything from along with PPS, parapersonal space, everything from like, can I reach from this limb out to get that piece of fruit without falling and killing myself to right. can I use this club and we'll get to some really interesting stuff about extensions of your own space. Can I use this club to hit that guy before he gets to me? Uh, all of this stuff matter. Like even fruit flies have yeah. a version of body schema, which is can I make it from here to there essentially with my little fruit yeah. fly body? Can I get through that gap? Um, is it too small? Um, Same as that. Us. Yeah, and that reveals that body schema is a really, really ancient um, mechanism. It's a really ancient system among life, right? That uh, if you stop and think about it, anything that moves through the world probably has some form of body schema because otherwise they'd be running into stuff. Mm-hmm. They would be, um, they wouldn't be able to feed themselves. They would miss the prey that they were running after. Yeah. Um, it would, th- everything. Like, it's really basically impossible to overstate how constantly we use these the, this this um, process and how constant it's updated. And the most remarkable thing about it is we do all this without even giving it a thought. It just happens. And it, it's not just body schema we're talking about. And this is where we kind of get into um, what I was talking about earlier that we're still not quite sure is is body schema part of it? Are we talking about body schema? We're just accidentally using a different a different term. Like mm-hmm. that's where the the field is right now. But like neurology has definitely taken up parapersonal space and is investigating it with full gusto. So it probably won't be too terribly long before we understand it much more and have like a a much more precise definition that all of the scientific community agrees on. Yeah, and, you know, that's basically what we're studying here and talking about today is neurology because it's very easy to say, well, duh, of course, you know, you can't squeeze through a certain area if it's too small for your body, but mm-hmm. it, it's not instinct. It, it is neurons firing on an unconscious level that is telling you to do or to not attempt this thing, basically. It's very cool. Yeah, and again, it's it's a, it's how we do just about everything with our bodies, like from dancing, um, playing sports, um, making using love. a screwdriver, making love, <laughs> um, what some people call doing it. Uh-huh. Um, how if somebody uh, shoots an arrow at your face and you catch the arrow right before it hits your face without Man. even thinking about it. Amazing. It's how we catch flies out of the air with chopsticks. <laughs> Anything that we do physically moving has to do with this. And again, it has to do with how incredibly advanced our brains are. Uh, that's what we're f- finding out. That's what this this whole thing reveals is this thing that we've just taken for granted. We finally reached the point in our like understanding of the universe and us and how things work. Um, sorry, how stuff works. Mm-hmm. Um, that 
we're now investigating things that we've just totally taken for granted. And what we're finding is like, oh, my God, our brains are so ridiculously powerful that it's this is just fun to even talk about. And that's why we're talking about it today. <laughs> uh, a couple of the first neurologists to sort of start poking around this uh, parapersonal space was in 1911. Uh, a dude named Henry Head, good name, as Livia mm-hmm. points out. And Gordon Holmes put out a paper um, that talked about body schema. And uh, they were looking at it in terms of, like, people that had brain damage. They noticed that uh, certain kinds of brain damage would render odd ways that they might position a limb or that they might have a sensation in a limb or something like that. So Mm -hmm. that's how they kind of uh, started, kind of launched the field of uh, studying this body schema thing, uh, neurologically speaking. And they also, and this is super cool, this is just one of, like, a million cool things, they're the first ones that came up with this idea that if if something is attached to your body in a way that it's moving with your body, then your brain accepts that neurologically and factors that in. So if you're wearing a, a 10-gallon hat, uh, you're, you're going to duck a little more readily because you know you're wearing that hat unless, you know, unless you're just really dense and you just keep knocking that hat off. But <laughs> eventually you're not going to be a, a cartoon character and you're going to realize this large hat – or this whatever I'm wearing, like, and I remember, I think I've talked about it before in college, that one of the greatest uh, uh, Halloween costumes I ever saw in downtown Athens was, uh, I kind of knew him, his name was Blake, but he was surface area man one year, and he just had these huge foam discs that he made a suit out of around his arms and legs and his body that he took up, like, you know, maybe 15 square feet. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And he would just walk around Athens bumping into things saying, I'm surface area, man. <laughs> but it's it sort of ties in with this in that uh, he went against the idea, like neurologically speaking, he would have known he can't go into the bar and not knock people over. And I'm sure he did know this. It was part of the gag. But right. uh, if it's attached to you and moves with you, your brain factors that in. Yeah. Like if you stop and think about that for a second, your body schema if you put a hat on, your body schema put enlarges <laughs> and changes shape uh-huh. to include that hat now. Yeah. That's astounding. That's an amazing thing that we just, again, don't even think about. So Head and Holmes were the ones who were really first kind of bringing this up. Like, hey, guys, we're taking some stuff for granted. We need to investigate this. And it was followed up in 1941 um, by W.R. Brain, another neurologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, hey, you know what? We kind of think of space around us as like, um, you know, this the, the, the um, door is uh, just three feet in front of me or um, the ceiling is a six-foot ceiling. And we think of it in Cartesian terms, like things can be mapped out as if on a mm-hmm. graph. And he said that's not actually how our brain encodes things. It encodes things much more simply, basically what's in grasping distance and what's in walking distance. And he kind of prefigured all the way back in 1941 this idea of parapersonal space, grasping distance, and then other types of space. And it seems to be the case that that is kind of how our brain divides things. And it's not binary like that. It's not like a straight line, like either it's in walking distance or it's in grasping distance. There's gradients of it. But he he was pretty smart for having come up with this, kind of seeing things differently. Yeah, and there there were a couple of philosophers, uh, I'm sure many people have put this forward, but uh, Colin Klein and Frédéric de Venemont. Uh, kind of threw out that, hey, I think this evolved uh, originally out of self-defense. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. I think e- even though we're so far removed from Tuk-Tuk and, and our ancestors like that, mm-hmm. uh, I think many people still in a place where they f- maybe even not feel threatened, maybe even when they're sitting in their own living room, know like, all right, the fire pokers, you know, within grasping distance – Sure. Just in case someone bust in that door. Yeah. Like, I remember being a kid and, like, and I wasn't a a paranoid, worried kid at all, but I used to go into places and, all right, where's where's the defense weapon? (laughs) Like, in this room, what would I grab if some, maybe I was a paranoid, worried kid. Now that I think about it. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd walk into a room and be like, where's the cookies? (laughs) I would think I could throw the cookie jar at someone's head. (laughs) Wow. Uh, But I think that's the evolutionary sort of remnant still sticking around, which is like, what can I grasp 
to defend sure. myself. And your brain is sort of wired that way. Uh, not only with us, but, you know, animals, they found out kind of do the same thing, right? Yeah, and like that we that we would have taken this initial thing that it's self-defense, that there's a bubble of, of like, uh, protection around us that yeah. when something starts to come into it, we're like, okay, alarms are going off. And that over time, our brain was like, we can do a lot more with this. Let's figure out unique and novel ways. And that that eventually evolved into being able to grasp the hot poker. And they point out the two philosophers you mentioned that um, it's not an adaptation. That's called an exaptation. Yeah. And we talked about it in the human intelligence episode um, where the the ability to remember where you set your baby down on mm-hmm. that rock yes, eventually right. evolved into wayfinding, like mm-hmm. our ability to create mental maps and find our way around or find our way back from something. <sighs> but yeah, you, you said something about the animals, and there was a Swiss zoo director. I'm just going to take his name, okay? I'm usually pretty generous, <laughs> but I want to take this one, okay? Please do. Heine Hedegger. <laughs> That's pretty straightforward. It's a great name. Heine Hedegger, a Swiss zoo director, um, started studying animals because he wanted to figure out at what, like, how can you put animals into the same enclosure, but they're from different species without scaring one another to death? And so he started studying how close you could get to animals and came up with this whole um, kind of contribution to the eventual peripersonal understanding of space. That's right. So what happened was uh, Heine Hedegger, you got to say both names. <laughs> sure. It's really hard not to. Uh, said, I, I want to figure out a few different things. I want to figure out um, how far, uh, like, a predator species can be from a prey before, mm-hmm. uh, we'll call it the flight distance, before one of it, uh, the the prey runs away. Right. Uh, or maybe fights back. We'll call that the defense di- uh, distance. Or plays dead. That's critical distance. And found out that it, it there was just a lot of consistency among different individuals within a species, which yeah. A, was interesting, but also uh, created the definition of what a tame animal is, which is kind of cool, which is mm-hmm. a flight distance of zero when it comes to humans. So you can go up and yeah. pet, pet that thing, basically. Give it a scritch. Yeah, and, and, and Heine Hedegger, um, you could kind of take him and set him to the side for a little bit because he his findings really kind of come to pass in proxemics, which is mm-hmm. the personal space as most people understand it, um, which eventually, you know, we'll talk about overlaps with parapersonal space. But, but parapersonal space as we understand it today was termed I think around 1981. And there's going to be a lot of Chuck's Italian imitations because the Italians <laughs> know, right? really, they did a lot of studying of parapersonal space. I don't know. I don't know. But they just they just are into that kind of thing. But from the 70s to the 90s, there was a lot of sad monkey experiments. Um so sad. I'm like, when are we going to stop doing that? We have to figure out a, a different way because it's just so ghastly if you stop and think about what they're mm-hmm. doing to these poor monkeys. Um, but essentially what they figured out is, yeah, uh, WR brain was right. Our brains basically say that's near, that's far. And yes, there's, you know, variations on the themes, but essentially that's how we see the world. And the stuff that's near is the the really hot action stuff because that's the stuff we can interact with. Right. Uh, but also uh, there was an Italian uh, neurophysiologist named, do you say Giacomo or Giacomo? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say Giacomo. Okay. Giacomo Rizzolati. Um <laughs> basically found out that as far as the neurons of this uh, macaque monkey goes, and ostensibly humans, obviously, that's why they're studying these monkeys to begin with, Mm -hmm. uh, their neurons would fire if the monkey was touched, like literally touched on the skin, or the same thing would happen if a flash of light went off near its body. So it, you know, we're talking about parapersonal space, versus extrapersonal space. That was one of the the two types that we didn't mention. Extrapersonal is out of your reach grasp, right? Yes. So basically found out that certain neurons react to that extrapersonal space exclusively uh, visually, but when it came to these parapersonal neurons, they were responding to both tactile or visual stimulus in the same way. Right. So as long as something was happening in this in this parapersonal space, that neuron could be stimulated by different kinds of input, right? That's right. That's that's gonna that's gonna become big in a second. Um, there was another researcher named Michael Graziano. Chuck, 
Graziano? <laughs> Actually, he's American, so I'll bet it's just Michael Graziano. Um, and he studied macaques, too, <clears throat> with electrical currents. And this one, this is the one that gets me. He implanted electrodes into these neurons yeah. that um, Rizzolatti had discovered um, and said, what happens if I, like, stimulate this? And when he stimulated the neurons that were activated within the peripersonal space, the monkeys would, like, flinch. They would, like, throw their hands up defensively in front of their faces, Um they would they would respond like there was a a predator that was about to attack them like it had just invaded their parapersonal space or as Henny Heidegger would say their um, defense distance right yeah which and then, I mean that leads to the you know that really backs up the whole original defense mechanism thing right exactly um, that that that's probably what it evolved from and then when he did the opposite if he fi- if he um, prevented those neurons from firing you could get as close as you wanted and the monkey wouldn't flinch essentially. All right, and then 97, Rizzolatti, uh, I believe this is where the first sort of big book around this came out. He and his colleagues put out a book called uh, The Space Around Us, where mm-hmm. they basically gathered up a, you know, a couple of decades worth of research and said, here's what we've got so far. Right. One of the big things that they said in that was that, hey, what we thought before is that there's all this different sensory information coming in, tactile information, audio, visual, all that stuff. And the brain is kind of bringing it all together and analyzing it and then telling the the motor nerves what to do to respond. That's not right. It turns out that there are neurons that can be stimulated by by visual input, by mm-hmm. tactile input, by audio input. Yeah. The same neuron, it'll respond. The point isn't what kind of stimulus oh, okay. it is. Yeah. It's where it's happening. So, like, if something's happening in the parapersonal space, a neuron that's responsible for the parapersonal space around your right elbow, if you see something around your right elbow coming at it, like an arrow, mm-hmm. uh, or if an arrow is actually touching now your um, elbow, that same neuron is going to fire in just the same way. Uh, that that was a big thing. It's not stimulus-specific. It's location-specific. And so that kind of changed our entire understanding of how the brain kind of processes all this stuff. It's it's um, rather than redundancy having all these different regions taking in stuff and then right. having to put it together, it's, you know, specific neurons are, are dedicated to specific regions no matter how that st- that sensory input is coming in. Well, and, and the cool little cherry on this Sunday was they also found out that it's not just where something is located, but their neurons start firing on you know, if it's a, a bow and arrow or a rake or a club or a baseball bat or a coffee cup, right. your, your brain fires on like how you're going to physically engage with that thing because of its locate, you know, and, and coordination with its physical location. So mm-hmm. that comes up a little bit later at the end with the mirror neurons experiment. Uh, and maybe we'll just save that. That'll be a nice little teaser. Okay, cool. Um, another thing that they figured out, too, um, I'm not sure what the year was, but Andrea Serino uh, at the MySpace Lab, a pretty great name, mm-hmm. um, she found out that the size of your PPS varies uh, depending on what part of the body is being studied. So um, it's different sizes around the, your torso mm-hmm. or your face or your hands. And what I found just monumentally astounding, Chuck, is that the size of your PPS alters, size and shape, I believe, mm-hmm. as you bring one PPS area into another PPS area. So, like, your face comes up or your hand comes to touch your face. Mm-hmm. And they think that this is to prevent your hand from getting captured by your PPS, your face's parapersonal space. Right. <laughs> and then who knows what sort of crazy cognitive sensation that would create. So you actually, there's a mechanism to prevent that from happening, to prevent your hands PPS from merging accidentally with your face's PPS. Right. But one thing that they kind of got wrong that they realized later on, and I think uh, this paper came out just a few years ago in 2018, was that, uh, and I believe, uh, let's shout out who it was, researchers Rory uh, Bufacci, man, what is going on here? <laughs> I know, <laughs> I love it. And that Rory doesn't doesn't make you. It does, you're not expecting Bufacci no. after Rory, you know. <laughs> you're not. Uh, Rory J. Bufacci and Gian Domenico uh, Ianetti 
um, they put forth the argument that it's like it's not like a switch though. It's a, it's a sort of like a a gradient range basically mm-hmm. based on the distance something is from you. So it's not like is it within my grasping distance or is it not? Neurons can fire if it like is might be like if they move something a little bit closer. The way your mm-hmm. neurons fire change. Yeah, they've also found that it depends on if the thing is moving or if it's stationary. And if it's moving, is it moving towards you? Is it moving away? Sure. So, like, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of nuance to it rather than it's either in my extrapersonal space or it's in my parapersonal space, which is kind of like the the general model for years. They're finding, like, no, it's, it's much more nuanced than that. Um, so, Chuck, I, I, we just realized um, off camera, off mic. <laughs> sure. On my that we have, to each other. We've not, we haven't taken a break yet. No, see, this is so fascinating. It's like we're having a good old-fashioned conversation. Okay, well, let's, let's take that break now then and come back, okay? Yeah, like people do in good old-fashioned conversations. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text stuff to 251292887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everybody, we're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep. Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah, and Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website. Whether it's an online course or custom merch, Squarespace has you covered. 
That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee, or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. All right, so we're back. Uh, I know everyone else takes ad breaks when they have great conversations with people. So that's what we did. Sure. Uh, where are we now? Are we are we at tools? Can we talk about tools? Yeah, this is where it really starts to get mind blowing. Yeah, this is super cool because not only does your parapersonal space change automatically if you wear a ten gallon hat, right? But your parapersonal space will change according to what kind of tool you're using. Yeah. Uh, and this is sort of what I was talking about with uh, Tuk Tuk all of a sudden has a has a four-foot club in his hand, and he now knows that that, uh, that animal he wants to kill or that person coming at him, uh-huh. the, the neurons are firing basically as if his arm is three and a half feet longer. Yes. It includes and, that. And this, yes. I think, is just like – if you just think about the development of weapons over the years. You and weapons. I think, well, I mean, some of this stuff was actually in our book on uh, the chapter on the first gun. Uh-huh. But it really, I don't know, it never occurred to me that all weapons development since the beginning of time has just been to get further and further away from your enemy. Oh, yeah, that's a good point so, like, for you, sure. you have a club that you can hit some with or a sword. And then you're backing up a little bit more and your parapersonal space is automatically reading this in, but I'm curious about like when you start shooting arrows and then guns and then eventually mm-hmm. long range missiles, like neurologically speaking, what that does, you know? Right. Um, but also with tools, not just weapons, but any, like the fact that you can use a screwdriver um, or yeah. hit a baseball with a bat. It's not about violence. Like, Sometimes you just the, want to fix a toaster. <laughs> right. I'm like, come on, let's chill out, Chuck. Let's get it more Richard scary than actually scary. Yeah. Um, so uh, the fact that you can use a screwdriver is not because your hand is precisely guiding that screwdriver. It seems to be because the parapersonal space of your hand is now being extended to the tip of that screwdriver. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like if you could turn screws with your finger, mm-hmm. you're doing something very similar as far as your neurons are concerned because they've now adopted the screwdriver as part of your hand and extended your parapersonal space around it. So your body schema has now adjusted and you look like you have an extra finger that's really thin <laughs> and really long. Uh, there's a really cool study, again, in Italy. Uh, in 2000, uh, Anna Berti and Francesca Fresanetti. Uh, looked at a woman who had a stroke on the right hemisphere of her brain. Mm-hmm. And they did these experiments, just, you know, these near and far space experiments to see how her neurons fired when, like, reaching for something with a hand or reaching for something, not really reaching, but using a laser pointer to, you know, extend your extra personal space really far out there. Uh, and I believe when she was asked to find the midpoint of a line within her parapersonal space, like with her finger maybe, Mm -hmm. she put the mark really far to the right because Mm -hmm. the right hemisphere of her brain had been damaged through the stroke. Uh, She was asked to do the same thing with this laser, and she did a really much better job. And then they gave her a stick, and I believe that she used the stick and did uh, worse than the laser, right, but better than her finger. Yeah, because her brain didn't adopt the laser dot as part of her body schema, but it did adopt the stick. So, so it's just even constantly she, remapping, basically. 
Yeah, but it also showed that the brain treats these two places very much differently, that they're, they're not the same as far as the brain is concerned. And it also showed that when you use a stick over a laser pointer, your brain is treating that stick like a tool. It was just really good early evidence that, yeah, we definitely change our body schema to adopt tools when we use them. Yeah, and it sort of made me think about, along with this next study, this was um, not in Italy, actually. This is in Japan around 2000, where they took monkeys again and they gave them rakes uh, to see if they would treat a rake like an extension of their body, neurologically speaking. Mm -hmm. And they did. They could get food that was, you know, further away just using that rake. But they also were able to use a video monitor, these monkeys would, to see an area where there would be food that they couldn't see without looking at the video monitor. And they looked at this monitor basically to see where this food was hidden. And they still use this rake as an extension. Like it made me think of sort of like a, a surgeon using robotics, basically. The same thing must be happening in their brain when they're looking at a video screen and operating an extension of their, you know, scalpel. Yeah, I think more more recent tests um, using virtual reality headsets have found like that. Yeah, you like that's exactly what's going on. You're you can adopt something on a video screen. Your brain can and be like, this is what this is part of my body schema for the moment. And what I thought was even more interesting, or at least as interesting, is that the same researchers found that um, when the monkeys were just holding the rake. Their their uh, parapersonal space just shrunk back down to normal. Right, they had but to be when using they were, it, right? yes, and if they were using it as a tool, then the the parapersonal space extended around it. So it has to do with like what I can't remember. One of the researchers was saying like we interact with the world and objects, and we we mm -hmm. treat objects based on what we can or can't or plan to do with those things when we interact with them in parapersonal space. So cool. And all of that, by the way, was in Japanese researchers at Sushi Iriki's lab. <laughs> With an Italian flair. Mm -hmm. It's got to be for this episode. Uh, the, the same thing happens like when you're in a car, if you're driving a small car, uh, yeah. as opposed to driving like a big box truck, your your neurons are going to fire differently because you know, you know, you're constantly trying to figure out if you can squeeze in through a, a space with a larger vehicle. Dude, the very fact that we can drive a car yeah. is because Good of point. parapersonal <laughs> space. Can you imagine, like we could conceivably still drive... Um, if just knowing, like, if I turn the wheel this way or turn the wheel right. that way, um, but it would be the most harrowing experience. No one would drive. It would be so scary to drive. Yeah. Uh, because we, we, the reason why it's not scary is we have, we've extended our parapersonal space to our car now. It's yeah. nuts what our brains are willing to do when we throw technology at them. Well, and, you know, I've, I've mentioned before when I drove in Australia, opposite side steering wheel, opposite side of the road, mm -hmm. I had to really concentrate very, very hard because you were so wired to just being in a car and driving and making turns in a certain way. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it really shook shook me up. And I think stimulated uh, – I say stimulated me. It sounds dirty. All of a sudden, I'm <laughs> driving around Australia in, mm -hmm. an, in an excited state, but that wasn't the case. <laughs> But it stimulated my brain. I just felt more, I felt so alive. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, because you zone out so easily when you drive sometimes, when you're just taking off for granted. That's dangerous. Driven that, yeah, it is dangerous. Um, there was one other thing I saw that I thought was just astounding about this. Um, it seems that your parapersonal space can basically merge with another person's under certain conditions okay. to where you're doing um, synchronized motions and movements that require coming into contact with one another. Like synchronized um, swimming, let's say? No, no, because <laughs> um, you're not actually touching. This would be more like a bucket brigade. Oh, or okay. if you're doing a baton run and you're sure. handing off a baton, okay. at that moment, when the baton is being passed, that it's being manipulated. It's a part of two different people's parapersonal space at the same time. So you are connected to that person via parapersonal space through the baton. Are you? Do people touch in synchronized swimming? I don't think. I think you get disqualified for that. It's frowned on. Oh no! no I thought you were saying they did touch. No, no, I'm saying not par not synchronized swimming because they don't touch. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. I'm confused now. Do they touch or not? They do not touch. They just swim around near each other in the same pattern, right? 
Although I have a great story. Um, <laughs> it's not synchronized swimming, but I was on a swimming team when uh, I was okay. a younger kid, and I was uh-huh. terrible, terrible. I now realize that the coaches put me in just for fun, mm-hmm. just just to get their their kicks watching right. me swim terribly. <laughs> and um, one of the reasons why I know that is because they put me in a backstroke, and I was the worst backstroke swimmer ever um, because I would cross at least one lane, if not right. two, <laughs> and bump into another swimmer, yeah. and we'd both be so surprised we'd stop and stand up, and I would accidentally disqualify both of us because if you stand <laughs> up in the pool, if your feet touch the bottom, you're disqualified. So that was uh, in, in that case, it wasn't synchronized swimming, but we were touching. I can uh, picture accidentally. young Josh being like, "Why would anyone swim backwards?" <laughs> This is so dumb. You can't see anything. Just let me do the breaststroke. I can do that. (laughs) Or you develop the first uh, backstroke rear view mirror that just like (laughs) sits on your chest. (laughs) Uh, Um, So maybe we should talk a little bit about some of the other cool findings. Like uh, they have found that um, it's not just tools, but like anxiety and your mood can change your parapersonal space. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you're interacting with someone from a different culture can. Uh, they have found that, you know, if if you're interacting with someone from a different culture generally, um, you might not feel as comfortable with them being close to you as you would someone from your own culture, which explains a lot. It definitely does. Um, they also found that spinal injuries can reduce the size of the um, PPS if the person has lost the ability to control their limb. Yeah. Um, and they, you can actually simulate this if you have 10 hours to kill. Um, you can just keep your leg immobilized for 10 hours and it will temporarily shrink your per, your parapersonal space around your leg because your brain's basically like, oh, I guess that leg's not in use any longer. Yeah. Well, uh, if you're pregnant, you're going to grow that PPS because all of a sudden you have a, a basketball under your shirt. So it's, you know, people think that was obviously probably an evolutionary um, protection measure to protect that baby in the belly. It makes uh, a lot of sense. People take a wider berth around uh, people they deem important or high status or celebrity or famous or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's not them saying, hey, I need space. It's it's you uh, regarding their status and instinctively not going as close to them. Although yeah, you're some increasing people are not good space. at that either. <laughs> no, it's true. But you're increasing your space um, because you're, I guess, kind of anxious around them. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, one that I saw that explains a lot. I hadn't really thought about it. Um, it's claustrophobia. Mm. People who have claustrophobia have bigger parapersonal spaces. So it's like if you're stuffed into a, a like a, I don't know, drainage culvert or something. Right. <laughs> Okay. That's narrower than your parapersonal space is by a lot, you could have claustrophobia. I think that's fascinating. Or I'll, I'll give you a different example. If you're um, kidnapped and put into a coffin and buried alive, you may feel claustrophobic because your parapersonal <laughs> space is being violated. We uh, got pivoted away from Florida uh, because of the hurricane for fall break. And so we went to a uh, last-minute trip to Chattanooga, Tennessee, Oh, cool. And this sort of stuff is all in play if you're doing Rock City and Ruby mm-hmm. Falls because mm-hmm. in Ruby Falls, you're either ducking or avoiding things. Or in Rock City, there are, are quite a few places where you're squeezing through tight areas yeah. uh, and also ducking. So I wish I'd – I mean, it's not like I was running into things because I have uh, – my neurons are working fine. But um, if you have claustrophobia, I imagine you have a hard time with places like that or – any sort of uh, neurological condition that affects your PPS, then those places are not going to be great for you. Yep. We had a good time. Uh, man, yeah, I was going to say there aren't that many roadside attractions from the 30s that still hold up today, but those two definitely do. Yeah, both very cool. Um, Chuck, I say that we take a break and come back and talk about personal space as most people understand it. How about that? Let's do it. Thank you. 
Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey there, everybody. Here's some bonus stuff you should know. This time it's about traveling to Orlando for business. Orlando has tons of places to host your conferences and meetings. Dr. Michael Edwards, CEO of Ocean Insight, said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when the day is done, you can kick off each evening at one of 46 Michelin-rated restaurants. What's not to love? So check out Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So like I was saying, personal space, is, as most people think of it, is like um, you're making me a little nervous. You're a little close talking mm-hmm. to me or whatever. Yeah. It was Judge Reinhold, Judge, oh, the close, close talker. talker on Seinfeld. <laughs> um, that's called proxemics. And that got its name from uh, an anthropologist, actually, a guy named Edward Hall back in 1966. And I don't know if he adapted Heine Hedegger's um, distances that he mm-hmm. came up with for animals uh, or if it was just like he made the same observations and, and came up with different labels. But he 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 basically replicated Hedegger's thing for the swing in 60s instead. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to proxemics and personal space, obviously all of this depends on who it is. Like they don't do mm-hmm. studies on like if your if your boyfriend or girlfriend walks into the room like, you know, all those rules are kind of thrown out the window. They're talking about, like, you know, strangers who don't know each other generally. And the, a way they might research this is uh, having a participant, like, stand there and have a, um, a, you know, a control walk into the room and say, hey, you just tell me when to stop. 
uh, like right when you start feeling uncomfortable to how close I am, tell me when right. to stop. Shout, stop, stop. <laughs> yeah, which this is going to vary wildly among people, I think, uh, in general. But I think they did find some commonalities among cultures when it comes to comfort distances. Uh, they're, they're, like I said, some people are going to have their own uh, uh, like really good reasons, personal hangups. Uh, some people have neurological conditions that are going to kind of factor in. But if you're just generally talking about a person and a culture, they have found that weirdly, I, I was surprised that Americans are about average with, um, what do they call it? Like average physical proximity. Yeah. 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 We're, we're a little more than averagely comfortable with it's, that kind of thing. I, I just, it feels like Americans are more prone than other cultures to be like, Hey, like, do you mind backing off a little bit? Yeah, but it makes sense. And there was a, a guy um, who suggested, I think it actually might have been Edward Hall, who suggested that um, different cities in different countries are laid out differently sure. based on the personal space that that culture has. And it would make sense in America, we're all about wide open spaces and mm -hmm. don't fence me in and all that stuff. So I could totally see that being you know, American compared to like a European city where buildings are just built on top of buildings. There's little narrow alleyways that lead to charming bookshops and stuff like that. Uh, I, I could see that totally based on personal space that that culture values without anyone having any idea that's what's doing it. Yeah. And I had to, you know, I value my personal space. And I had, when I lived in LA, I had to reckon with um, realizing that like, hey, in a town like Los Angeles, a melting pot like that, People are coming from all over the world, and you're going to be shopping uh, in close proximity to them and mm -hmm. rubbing elbows, and their lived experience uh, wherever they came from is different than yours, bub. Right. And so, like, you can't, you know, if uh, if someone grew up in India and, uh, like, I'm, I'm trying to picture, like, a, a really crowded bazaar or something where people are, like, packed in and trying to order things like that's a whole different experience than growing up in the Southeast in a, in a big, huge grocery store. And so if someone creeps up on you a little bit, you got to keep that in mind as an American. And I could see you laying there thinking that with your elbows out to the side, <laughs> your hands behind your head. And, and then your brain says, okay, now get up and go squeeze some orange juice. Cause it's going to be a beautiful day. I, I did have a little bit of uh, – I try to be understanding, but I got a little salty a couple of times in Chattanooga with personal space. <laughs> really? Well, with my, the little uh, statue <laughs> elves? My personal philosophy is is if I can't, like, reach behind myself and get, like, my wallet out of my pocket without elbowing someone. Sure, that's way too close. Then you're too close, especially I these days. That person is using an RFID skimmer on you if they're that close <laughs> to your wallet. I also had a kid behind me uh, – that was doing the like let's let's kick the guy's feet when he walks mm -hmm. and laugh about it with his brother and i was like all right be cool they were be kicking your feet yeah yeah one of the kids was kicking his feet and i heard him laughing to his brother and i was like all right just stay cool chuck this is a kid <laughs> your kid annoys people too mm -hmm. and then the mom i didn't even have to like give a, a dirty look the mom was on it and was like you need to back off of that guy <laughs> right. i was like oh it's fine but yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I hadn't even noticed. Uh, anyway, long way of saying that uh, people come from different cultures where they have different levels of comfort with what Edward Hall called um, intimate distance, which is hugging, which is great, or whispering so in someone's ear, which is the worst possible thing. Putting your tongue in someone's ear. Uh, <laughs> well, that could be nice. Um, personal distance, which is comfortable with close friends but not acquaintances. Social distance just like the water cooler chat. Six or, feet. Uh, yeah, six feet. Or what they call public distance, what he called public distance. And that's, I guess, uh, when you're like on a stage projecting and gesturing largely and stuff like that. Yes. And it really does remarkably resemble Heine Hedegger's um, separation yeah. of zones for, for animal species. And that makes sense because we're still animals too. And so it seems like what the differences between personal space and parapersonal space, and physically they overlap a lot, is that, and this is just me editorializing, but I think personal space is 
that original defensive zone mm-hmm. that evolved, that animals have, that Heine Hediger turned up, um, that we still have, again, because we're animals. And that parapersonal space is that acceptation that came out of that personal space defensive zone and, and that allows us to interact with the environment in all sorts of new and amazing and interesting ways. Yeah, I like that. And that, that physically, really like they occupy the same space, but mm-hmm. it, mentally, um, neurologically, they're they're distinct. Yeah, super fascinating. Uh, I guess we can finish up on the return of mirror neurons. Yeah, totally. Very excited. I feel like we used to talk about mirror neurons a lot. Uh, but we had, I believe, a complete episode on them, right? Mm-hmm. And then talked about them a lot. But it's sort of the idea, and this is a, a reductive way of looking at it, but like seeing a, a football player break their leg on the TV screen might send a weird pain sensation through your own leg, or uh, but it's the opposite side. Isn't that what they figured out? The opposite uh, leg? I don't know. I'm not sure. But who was it? Willis McGahey? Uh, the Miami that? Hurricane guy whose knee went all the way backwards. Oh, I don't know. I was thinking Theismann. There's been so many bad sort of incidences over the year. Yeah. Uh, but it's the idea that you're these are mirror neurons and they're picking up what has happened to someone else and like literally physically affecting you and your right. body. Yeah. And one of the reasons that this would um, relate to parapersonal space is they think that mirror neurons help us um, basically create a mental construct of what we're going to do with our body, let's say mm-hmm. with our hands, by watching someone else doing it. And they, they say, well, this is obviously how like stone tool making was passed down from generation to generation because you, we had the ability to watch someone else do something and then do it ourselves because of this body schema and um, mirror neurons, which are probably very much interrelated to the point where the mirror neurons and the a parapersonal space or body schema neurons are, are one in the same in some cases. Yeah, and they did a study, again, with the monkeys, uh, and this had to do with kind of what I mentioned at the beginning about whether or not you're going to interact with something, mm-hmm. uh, where they watched monkeys watching a human grab an object. So the monkeys just watching a person, like, let's say, grab an apple, and <laughs> about a quarter of the mirror neurons in these monkeys fired more rapidly if the person grabbing the apple was just simply closer to the monkey. Mm -hmm. So in other words, all of a sudden the monkey says, all right, I might have be interacting with this thing. So different neurons are lighting up. And when they put up a barrier and it was a clear barrier, this is what confused me a little bit. They put up a clear barrier between the person and the monkey and Uh it actually did reduce those neurons lighting up just because there was a barrier there. But it was, was the monkey... I guess aware of the barrier, it had to be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it could still see what the gotcha. human was doing. All right, that makes but sense. But it had shut down the possibility to the monkey's brain that it would be interacting with the apple. So a Amazing. different, a different experience happened in the monkey's brain because it wasn't trying to interact with it. It wasn't going to interact with the apple. Super cool. I love this stuff. Very cool. Me too, man. Parapersonal space. I'm glad we did one on it. Um, you got anything else right now? No, just. If you see me out, give me a little room. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Don't <laughs> kick Chuck's feet. It's weird, though, because I, I do like a good hug, but, like, someone whispering to me, mm-hmm. and I think I have, like, childhood triggers for that for certain reasons I won't get into. Okay. But, like, anybody whispering, my daughter whispering in my ear, I just can't uh-huh. handle. I cannot handle I, a whisper in my ear. I'm not sure I knew that, man. Well, I don't mind your whisper. You're kind of the only one. Okay, I was going to say, I feel the, like. The sweet nothings. You really do it for me. Yeah, that Harvey's bombing episode was so good, (laughs) Chuck. See, I I don't mind hearing a whisper. It's got to be in my ear. Yeah, I understand that. You know what I mean? Probably because it's not just um, audio, it's tactile too. The air Mm -hmm. pushing on your eardrum. Who knows? Because I don't think we mentioned the final fourth type of space. Mm. Uh, What was it called? That just something close to your skin? Paracutaneous. Paracutaneous space. Yes. 
where that sets off a whole different set of neurons, they think, too. That's kind of That's like right. the new leading edge of this. Um, and that reminds me, Chuck, I cannot find this essay to save my life. Mm. But it was by a philosopher, mm-hmm. and he was basically saying, like, where do you end and the, the rest of the world begin? Mm. Uh, and obviously, most people say your skin, but then he pointed out that there's molecular exchange, there's gas exchange through... Mm-hmm. Your skin. So at a point where like a, a air molecule is moving into your body through your skin, mm-hmm. like is there really any true barrier between you and the outside world? It just jogged my memory when, when they, they were talking about percutaneous space. And I was like, I wish I could find that essay. It was one of the cooler things I've ever read. Or that cool uh, thing you can do like when you close your eyes and you can feel when someone's hand gets close to your face. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because they said it's not, it's not, you don't have to be touching. Yeah. It can be up to like five centimeters away. And yes. that paracutaneous space is still going to give your your uh, brain information. It's our energy, bro. It is, man. Chakra. <laughs> you got anything else? I got nothing else. I wish uh, we could just talk about this stuff all day. It's good stuff. Uh, I agree. And I think everybody listening agrees. And since Chuck said good stuff, that means it's time for listener mail. But if you're like, you know, after we record, we can just keep chatting about it. Like, <laughs> right. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> I got to take a nap, too. Uh, all right. I'm going to call this uh, license plate funny. Boy, you never know with this show what people are going to respond to. Yeah, I know. And that one got so much. <laughs> license plates, just people loved it. It was a really, uh, we got a lot of email about it. I think the ubiquity of some of these lend itself to that but here we Mm go I love the episode on license plate guys despite what Josh predicted at the beginning uh, because I think you said it was going to be boring or something how wrong I did sorry Uh, I was surprised that you hadn't come across the lists of rejected vanity plates that you can find for different states Uh, I'm 17 and when I got my license about a year ago these state kept lists of vanity license plates were almost legend in our driver's ed I don't know if Georgia keeps track but Utah sure does Uh, It's still very fun to delight in your inner six-year-old when you're reading these. My personal favorites are Lil Toot, (laughs) Poops with a Z, (laughs) and I I can't believe this one. Oh, no, I guess these are rejected, huh? Uh, I'm farting. (laughs) Someone actually wanted a license plate that said I'm farting. <laughs> I like that. I would love to see that in real life. I would too. Uh, highly recommend you try and find a list for Georgia guys. The ones that aren't like super racist are pretty fun to read through. Uh, much love from Elijah. Uh, he him from Provo, Utah. Awesome, Elijah. That's really cool. Thank you for that. We totally didn't run across it, so thanks for bringing it to our attention. Um, and speaking of Utah, Chuck, it just reminded me. Have you seen Friend of the Family on Peacock? No, don't know anything about it. Uh, It is off the rails. It's set in the 70s, true story, weirdo, true crime in a way, but also just beyond nuts. Um, And has the extra bonus of my niece Mila being in it. She's one of the daughters. Fantastic. Check it out, though. It's really really good, with or without Mila, but it's even better because Mila's in it. Of course. And, you know, while we're shouting out Peacock, I don't know if we ever shouted out our uh, good friend Andy Sierra's show, The Resort. Oh, no, we didn't. No. Yeah, so our old friend Andy Ciara, who uh, we got to know through the band he was in, the Henry Clay People, he and his brother Joey. Long story short, they wrote the theme song to our TV show mm-hmm. and were also story editors as screenwriters for our show. Uh, Andy's the one that did the Hulu movie with Andy Samberg called Palm Springs. And uh, he has his very own TV show that is Man, fully great. on Peacock now. It's called The Resort. It was really good. Joey was a writer on it as well. And it's a, just a very cool, fun show. I highly recommend it. Uh, Emily and I loved it. Well, congratulations, Andy. That's enormous. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Thanks for telling everybody about it too, Chuck. Well, thanks for Elijah for that email. And if you want to be like Elijah and send an email that jogs our memory to talk about unrelated TV shows, we love that kind of thing. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Childproofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes.